Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I think one of the unique things about me is, first of all, you know, being Black American but having lived on the continent for 10 years, and having interacted with so many different types of Black folks. Yes. And I feel like I really can serve as a bridge because I know sometimes there's a little bit of tension between Black Americans and, and Black Africans. So I think mm-hmm. that's the, the first thing. I think the other thing is, I often say I'm a misplaced millennial. I really should have been, I should have been a millennial. So I feel like I'm a millennial, <laughs> I'm a millennial whisperer. So. <laughs> I feel like I I can serve as a bridge between people my age and the millennials and the Gen Zers, right? Because I understand both sides. So I think I think that's also the Libra in me. I'm I'm that person. I always see both sides of an argument. So Mm -hmm. so I think my experiences living as an expat out of the country and just my, you know, like I said, my my misplaced birth birth time. I should have been a millennial. I think I because of that, I think I can serve as a great bridge between all of those groups. How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Carice, and Carice has had a unique lived experience. She's been able to do so much work in the field of workplaces across several industries. And in today's episode, she really dissects what it's like to be black in today's workforce. We often hear it. We often hear the stories about feeling like you can't be your full self. We often hear stories about policies aimed at unique experiences of what it's like to be black and whether you are white whether you are from another race that isn't black i do think this is an episode that you should listen to in the sense that it allows you to take a glance at the nuances of policies said and unsaid that affect lived experiences of many black people in different parts of the world and i think you can also take lessons from this episode to apply to yourself right these things work across gender lines as well as gender identity lines as nationality lines there are some key principles when it comes to fighting for equity and i hope this episode opens your eyes in that lens enjoy the episode Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Now, today's episode is with Carice Anderson. Now, what Carice knows is that many Black professionals are at a disadvantage in the workplace, and that typical career advice doesn't take the unique experiences into account. So in her new book, Intelligence Isn't Enough, A Black Professional's Guide to the Workplace, she empowers young Black professionals by equipping them with advice and little-known principles of career success from her own experiences and interviews with 30 successful Black leaders. She's uh, very well accomplished and, as you can see, well-researched. So I'm excited to invite her onto the show. Welcome. 
Thank you so much for having me, Tayo. Well, the pleasure the pleasure is mine. I I'm very very uh curious about this because you know as a fellow author, the title of a book plays a big role in how you brand <laughs> the book, right? Someone's going to see it on the shelf or on Amazon or anywhere yeah. online, and they're going to decide, oh, that that sounds interesting. Absolutely. What made you decide to be so unapologetic with the title? Actually, two things. So when I published my book originally, I published it in South Africa with Jonathan Ball Publishers. Mm. And as you can tell from my name, my name is not really a very black sounding name, at least not in South Africa. So mm. one of the one of the things I decided was I needed to put my picture on the front of the book so that I could prove to people that I'm black. I didn't want people to think that, oh, who's this white woman telling black professionals what they think they should do? So that was the first thing was to put my picture on the front. Yeah. Then the second thing was, you know, I'm just a really transparent person. I did not want people picking up my book and then seeing all these references to Black people and feeling like they had been hoodwinked, bamboozled, brought amok, led astray, had took, as okay, um, Giselle Mama. said. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted people to know, you know, so I'm like, put it in the title so uh. it's clear and people can make a decision whether or not they, you know, want to buy it. They can make an informed choice about buying it or not. So that that's really why I put my picture and I put the word black in the title. No, I, I love it. I love it. I'm always I'm always a big fan of clarity and unapologetic nature. And and your book is chock full of all these advices, but you came up with three unique concepts. Uh can you share what these concepts are? Sure. The first one is the continuum of authenticity. I think I've you know, just spent a lot of time around millennials and, and Gen Zs. And I've heard, you know, some of them say, well, either I'm 100% real or I'm 100% fake. And I just really started thinking about it. And I, I really believe our authenticity exists on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it's binary. It's one thing or the other. And I think you have to look at the context, the audience and the message mm -hmm. to figure out where you play on that spectrum. So for example, I'm from Alabama, grew up, you know, there my whole life, carries on level 10. So let's say that's my maximum level of authenticity. It's going to be me speaking with a Southern accent that you might not even understand. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, <laughs> I'm going to be using, you know, some slang and just drawing out my words, you know, and you might not even understand what I'm saying. It's going to be me being really sarcastic, loud. And the thing is, if I don't know you and you don't know me, it might just be too much for you to sort of absorb all of that. Yeah. And it's funny because my husband is from New York. Um, he's from New Rochelle. He always clarifies he's not from the one of the five boroughs. <laughs> I mean, no, he, it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah, you you gotta know, clarify. You're, you gotta clarify. <laughs> you're, you're on West. You're that's Western. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> yeah, you got. I, I clarify on his behalf. And you know, sometimes when he's around my family, he can't even understand what we're saying. He's like, Carrie, I know you're speaking English, because I know that's all you know. But yeah. what are you saying, right? And so I think we have to just look at the environment we're in and try to be sensitive to the people we're around because I personally don't believe in authenticity just for authenticity's sake. Right. I believe it has to serve a purpose. And I want to be effective. I want to get my point across. I want to have impact. And I don't want my authenticity at level 10 to get in the way of that. So I always say, if somebody from my family and my closest friends or my husband came to work, would they recognize me? And vice versa? Because I don't want to be two separate people. 
Mm-hmm. I want to be, you know, maybe I'm level 10 with my family, but I'm going to tone it down to a seven or an eight at work. Yeah. And then when the people from work come to see me with my family and friends and my husband, will they recognize me? Say, okay, she's a little, you know, countryer. She's a little louder, a little more sarcastic, but I recognize her because I think it's just, it's not sustainable when we try to be two separate people. And I think a lot of us have been told like, you know, keep up the wall, but I just don't think it's sustainable. And I think we come across as inauthentic, which serves us in the short term, but I don't think it serves us in the long term. I think of uh, W.E.B. Du Bois' double consciousness and then this code switching. Now, I, I, I do a lot of sessions uh, on, you know, belonging, diversity, equity, inclusion, all these things. And I'll have a conversation about this and some people uh, uh, will say, oh, it's fine. I do this with my friends. It's, it's all good. And then there'll be a group of people who would say, well, I have to learn the rules here to survive. And when I'm causing that distinction is to what you're talking about, some people code switching to survive. And then they, they could be code switching for fun. I'm from Nigeria. Yeah, we have broken English. I speak it sometimes and no one is like understanding what that is. In that context, it's great. But when someone is coming from the privilege of saying you seem fake for doing that, I I often, my thought is, well, do you understand the reason that they had to get there and, and why they feel like bringing that authentic self is probably not going to be there? You know, everything from their tone or their hair and all those things. And so I like the fact that you're, you're, you're fighting for that bridging of the gap, but do you think it's actually possible? This is me playing devil's advocate. Do you think it's possible? I definitely, I definitely think it's possible. And because I've done it myself. I I think about who I was when I first started my career. I remember my sister called, I was working at a company called Arthur Anderson, used to be one of the big five accounting firms. And my sister called and heard my voicemail message. And she said, who is that white woman on your Uh, phone? And I said, said, that white woman is me. (laughs) I felt like I had to sound so fake and so different to be accepted. I just don't feel that way now. And I feel like, like I said, it can serve you in the short term, but does it serve you in the long term? I love this. This is good. You know, I, I, cause it obviously what the next question would be, will be, I hear you, Carice, and I believe it. And I want to exist in that world, but what do I do when it, it affects my promotion? Right. How do I, what do I do when I need a network and people are looking at me like at a certain way or, you know, different types of, of backgrounds or I'm going to this country and I know that if I wear my t-shirt, they're going to be afraid of me. Right. And so what do you say to that person who wants to climb the corporate ladder, but doesn't see any other way out? I say two things, right. I say kind of back to what I was saying earlier. I think you have to look at the audience, the context and the message. Mm-hmm. So for example, my husband is a first generation Zimbabwean American. So when yeah. we go to Zimbabwe, we go to the rural area, women have to wear long dresses, no pants, no shorts. And a lot of times we're kind of segregated from the men in social events. Now that was not how I was raised. Right. Right. But I adjust in order to bridge the gap between his family and his community and me. And yeah. I'm willing to do that because I the larger purpose for me is to make that connection um, and to to build those relationships and to, you know, show my husband that I'm willing to adjust myself for the good of our family and for the good of our relationship. Okay. Now I could have said, Hey, I, I didn't grow up like this. I'm not wearing these long dresses. I'm not compromising, but in service of what, right. You know what I mean? What, what's the yeah. sacrifice? What's the trade-off? And for me, it's not really crossing a boundary to make some of these adjustments. 
And I think sometimes we have to decide that's what right. is an actual boundary versus right. just it's not my personal preference. It's outside of my comfort zone. That's, that's what I was going to say. You know, so like you, I have the same belief. You know, I've left jobs. I've been fired <laughs> twice. And I've also decided not to take on clients. You know, I've, since I've been an entrepreneur for over 10 years now or about 10 years, um, it, it, it's played a big role. You know, I, I remember starting to grow my hair out in 2017 because in fact, I was always told, keep it professional uh, or even this blurring of lines where if someone is having a difficulty saying my name and they want me to English by my name, it's an immediate red flag for me. And so I think what you're saying is that it's, it's something that I hope many black professionals start to understand that their identity matters. Right? Absolutely. They, yeah. Right. And, and like I just said, you have to figure out what is a boundary. What's the boundary? Yeah. For me, my hair is straight right now. But I normally, 98% of the time, I wear my hair curly. My natural hair is a boundary for me. If I work for a company that says, oh, Carice, you have to straighten your hair to be Name. successful. I'm like, this is not the place for me. Now, Same. I'm not saying you quit tomorrow, right? Because we have mortgages and car payments and you know tuition that we have to pay. But you might need to start building that exit plan. And that was the second thing that I was going to say on this topic is you have to decide. And only you can decide this. On that continuum of authenticity, what's your limit? Mm. Like I won't go past a six, okay? Six <laughs> through ten is that's it. I don't <laughs> go to a five. I don't go to a five point eight. Like this is it. That's and right so there. you and you and if your company is asking you to go to a four, that maybe that's not the place for you. And you I don't know. have to stay. So yeah. you know the thing is, it's like we're not going to change these places in this moment. So you either have to make a decision: Are you going to play that game, or are you going to leave? Those are your yeah. two options. You can't stay and be bitter. Right. <laughs> the, right. No, not hey, changing. Hey. So you, you, you got to make the adjustment, you know, and, and like I said, that's why I tell people I'm like a boundary is something that is core to who you are, core to your well-being. It's not, oh, you know, I just want I just want this, you know, or I'm yeah. uncomfortable doing this. It's like, yeah. is it core to who you are? And you, you can't have 55 boundaries, guys. Because if you got 55, you probably don't have any, right? Everything right. can't be a boundary. So figuring out what's core and then sticking to that. Okay. And then everything else I can be flexible on. Okay. Well, let's go to your second concept, your second unique concept. What is it? So working in versus working on your relationships and then working in versus on your career. So I, I ran a small business when I lived in South Africa and the small business, you know, like in the entrepreneurial world, we kind of have all these phrases. And one of those phrases is working in versus working on your business. Mm -hmm. So let's just say, for example, I ran a cupcake business. Working in my businesses, I'm buying my ingredients, I'm mixing up my cupcakes, I'm delivering my cupcakes. Working on my business is taking a step back and saying, should I even be delivering cupcakes? You know, should I be selling cookies or brownies? Am I, you know, am I selling my products in the right place at the right time at the right price point to the right people? Mm -hmm. So it's just taking a step back and asking those bigger questions and not just getting caught up in the day to day. And I realized we could apply that same philosophy to our careers and our relationships. So in the career space, you know, working in your career is, OK, I'm doing my job. I'm doing it well. I'm doing it on time at a high quality, which is important. But yes. working on my career is taking a step back and saying, am I developing the right skills at the right time? at the right pace? Am I developing the right relationships, mentors, sponsors, all of that, right? The working in our relationships, very much the same. I feel like a lot of times we can be quite transactional. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, we talk about the deadline and who needs to do what, when, where, and how, the obstacles. 
But working on our relationships is taking that step back and just saying, hey, Tayo, how are you? How are you coping with everything that's happening in the world? You know, if we got a hybrid work situation, how are you dealing with working at home versus working in the office? How's your family? What's keeping you up at night? It's just trying to connect with each other as people. Because I feel like some of this advice that we've gotten in terms of being successful, like, you know, put your head down, work hard, and you'll be knighted as the chosen one. You know, people don't feature anywhere in this advice. And I think we can sometimes, even though we're very relational as Black folks globally, globally, I think sometimes we come to work and we're very transactional. Yeah. And we keep that wall up. And the wall is up for a reason, right? We got a lot of data points to support the building of the wall. You know, we've got Mm -hmm. racism and sexism and all these isms, right? But I think we need to try to knock down some of that wall and really connect as people. And look, I'm not saying you got to go to work and share your deepest, darkest traumas with the people at work. But I am saying try to find something where you can connect with people. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Outside of just being good at PowerPoint and Excel. Working on versus working in. Working on. Okay, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. So you alluded this early when you were talking about this with uh, relationships. You've done interviews and you've worked across several continents. You've heard about the Black experience in different parts of the world. Could you share the insights that you've had? Well, one of the things I took away from that, well, first of all, just to give a little bit of context to people who are listening, I lived in South Africa for 10 years and South Africa is kind of the gateway in Africa. I feel like a lot of people who come to the continent or who are either from the continent, they end up working in South Africa, right? Because there's a lot of opportunities there. So I had, you know, the chance to work with Ghanaians, Zimbabweans, Nigerians. I'm 34.7% Nigerian, by the way. Okay, you know, so okay, (laughs) (laughs) here we go. Gay, recognized gay. But, you know, so Black British, you know, Kenyans. So you get to work with a whole bunch of different kinds of Black people. And one of the things I realized is there are just a lot of similarities, even though we've been separated by oceans, languages, and cultures, right? I think Black people have been told to sort of over-index on being smart and getting degrees and IQ. I think, you know, we're very relational just as a people. I think when you think about our families and our communities and how much that means to us. Mm -hmm. But I think on the flip side, we've also been getting a lot of the same advice about being successful. Like I said, over-indexing on IQ and degrees. I think sometimes keeping that wall up. I can't tell you how many different audiences of Black folks I've said you know, some of us, we get that advice from our well-meaning Black family and friends, and they That's say, right. That's right. go to work, 
don't tell those people your business. They're not your friends. You didn't go there to make friends. Yes. If you tell them your business, they're going to use it against you at some point. Yeah. You know, so that kind of sort of advice, I think, makes us put that wall up. And if you work in highly collaborative, high performing environments, that advice does not serve you well, because a lot of what is going to help you be successful and figure out what you need to do and how you need to do it is going to come from other people. And if people don't know, like, and trust you, they're not going to help you. They're not going to want to invest in you if they don't know anything about you. And so I think that's one of the universal messages that I've, that I've seen across Black folks is just that idea of putting that wall up. And like I said, there's a lot of data to support putting up the wall when you think about what we've experienced in corporate spaces. But I think we're going to have to learn to sort of break that wall down piece by piece so that we can make sure we're getting the level of investment that's going to help us be successful because we cannot do it on our own. That's the other thing. You think about all this advice we've got, nowhere in that advice does do other people feature. We literally have been made to believe that it's going to be a solo effort to get us to the top of these organizations. And I'm telling you, it's it's alive from the pit of hell. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I, you know, you know I, I I think it's I think it's important to raise this distinction. I I, I often say you know you know I you know I grew up in five countries and four continents. So a lot of the experiences they they come from this sense of security. You know, even my time spent in dictatorships before I moved to civilian role, or even sending me off to different parts of rural. Your parents, there's a joke in Nigeria: doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. <laughs> accountant mm -hmm. passable maybe architect but <laughs> it comes from this place of you need to have enough money to secure and protect your family however what i have discussed with my family and other people when i am doing this work is we can't forget the humanization aspect here like you you know there's this concept of living in fear but then you you you, you lose yourself in the process because you become so robotic to what your actual dreams are uh, now that is not to say that anyone wanting to be a lawyer doctor engineer um it shouldn't be that. I actually encourage that. But I do think that there are some lawyers and engineers who might want to be something else, right? They might want uh, an engineer might also want to be a, an artist or, you know, an influencer. That's okay. But the, the way that it, sometimes our families might tell us, uh, talk to us a bit, that you're exposing too much. Or if you want to talk about your trauma with a therapist, you know, don't go to therapy. My mom, my, before I told my mom I was going to therapist or uh, like, you got to tell them all your secrets. All your secrets, keep them inside. And so, so there is that fear. And I think what you're doing, what your work is doing, is it, it's opening up this idea of how important it is for us to unlearn some toxic mindsets, while also preserving the great parts of our traditions. Absolutely. And look, I think, you know, people did then what they knew how to do. Yes. But I do think the world has evolved. I mean, I think about when I came out of undergrad, Tayo, nobody was talking about DEI. Yeah. Nobody cared about you as a, a person of color or a woman. Nobody used the word intersectionality. Like mm -hmm. all of mental health, well-being, no one cared. Right. They were like, come and do this job. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the world has evolved. So I think the advice that they gave us may, might have worked for the environments in which they worked 100%. at that time. But as the world has evolved, so does the advice and so does the messaging and, and so does our understanding of what we need to do to be successful. Right. Well, let, let's stay here. You believe that there's an importance of knowing one story. Absolutely. What do you Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. And I promise you, I don't care what the topic is. I always start with knowing your story, whether it's if we're talking about DEI, I think you need to examine how did you grow up? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, who are the people 
the places, the situations that shaped you, what types of people were missing from the landscape in which you grew up? I'll tell you personally, I grew up in Hueytown, Alabama. It's a suburb of Birmingham. It was mostly black people, white people, and a whole bunch of Lebanese people. I don't even know how they ended up in Alabama, but a whole I grew up around a whole bunch of Lebanese people. There were no openly gay people. There were definitely no transgender people. There were no Asians or Latinos or Latinas. Like I just didn't have that exposure. I, so I solely was going off what I saw on television. And like the first Asian person I met in high school, because I'd only seen Asians who were good at math and science on TV. So when I met him, I was like, hey, are you good at math and science? And he looked at me like, where did that come from? You know, right, <laughs> I, right. think, I think I asked him, I was like, are you from <clears throat> Japan, China or Japan? I literally didn't know that there were all these other Asian countries. So I was super ignorant, you know, because I just didn't have the exposure. So I asked people, think about how you grew up. What was your lived experience? Who was missing from it? I was like, those are the people you probably know the least about and that you need to listen to the most because you're going, everything you know about them is from the media and from movies and television and newspapers. And we're usually not portrayed in the full spectrum of who we are in those, in those media. So you need to expose yourself, right? Read books, watch documentaries, listen to podcasts, talk to people who are different than you and understand what their story is. I think, and so that, so that's why I always start with the story part. I think when it comes to you know, the messages you've gotten about what does success mean and how can you be successful? Like I said, I was always told I was smart and I just needed to get a bunch of degrees. So once I had, you know, one degree and then two degrees, I was like, oh, I'm set for life. I'm gonna, you know, the world is gonna open up its arms and welcome me, right? That was not the case, no, you yeah. know? And the goalposts keep shifting. And so you feel a little bit disappointed because that's not what you were told growing up, yeah. you know? And even gender roles, like I grew up in a bit of a patriarchal environment. And so I took that attitude into work where I was just like, well, I'm a woman. I'm just supposed to, I'm just supposed to take whatever projects and opportunities they give me. I'm not supposed to fight back. I don't want to be seen as an angry black woman. So, you know, you need to examine all of these messages that you've gotten, right? And how you've grown up and, you know, your story, right? Because that impacts how you show up in a workspace. Yeah. And if you don't unpack all of that, you're just going to be reacting as opposed to really intentionally showing up in the way that you want to. I mean, I, look, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a, it's a fascinating thing that you bring up here. The world is constantly evolving, and sometimes many of our cultures and traditions stay in the place uh, of previous generations. Even schools, uh, you know, they'll be set maybe based on the industrial revolution time or the 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 way we even use time zones. Sometimes I'm often like, wait, do we need you know, what's happening here? Or you know, day daylight savings or things like that. And I, I think you're you're reminding people to refresh their mindsets, you know, that to, to understand that their mindset shouldn't be fixed. And, uh, and, you know, it, it can be unlimited in that sense. You though, you grew up in a, it's a Baptist family and then you went to Catholic schools and you also, were you the first to go to, to graduate from college in your family? Or? No, I was the first person in my family to, to major in business and to work in a corporate space. I come from a family full of like ministers, teachers, and social gotcha. workers. So. Gotcha. So, so what was that experience like? Yeah, you know, being the first to do go to business, but then also Baptist and Catholic. And you know, how did that affect your 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 way of thinking? I think, you know, for me, I think there was a lot of instillment of values. So I'm a super values-driven person. Yeah. You know, I'm always sort of testing how does this option line up with my personal values? So I'm really driven by that. And I think a lot of that came from, you know, 
being in church during the week and on the weekends. And my family's super deep in church as well. So, you know, the first time I heard the word superintendent was because my dad was superintendent of Sunday school. So. <laughs> so that was a big deal, you know? So I think, I think that has really made me be a very values driven person. I think, you know, in terms of being the first person in my family to work in a corporate, I had no idea what I didn't know. I was going by what they had all told me, which was be smart, work hard and get these degrees. So I honestly thought I was like, oh, okay, I've ticked all these three boxes. I'm, I'm set for life. And then you realize, you know, the longer you're in a space, right? You realize like, Ooh, it's way more to that. You know, it's, the degrees help you get your foot in the door, but they don't help you advance. You know what I mean? Being smart is kind of baseline. And I think the environments I've worked in, everybody's smart because these environments have skimmed the cream off the, the, of the, the cream of the crop, right? And so you're competing against, everybody was smart. Everybody was salutatorian, valedictorian, full scholarship, <laughs> Phi Beta Kappa, you know, on and on and on. And so it's going to take more than just being smart to be successful. And I think the longer I've been in the corporate space, the more I realized that I don't know, but I wanted to share what I do know with these young folks, because what I realized is, you know, they've got, y'all got the internet. That's, I'm telling my age right now, Tyler. When, <laughs> when I came out of undergrad, the internet was five pages long. You get through in about seven minutes, you yeah. know? So it was not a resource, but I was thinking, oh, these young people have social media and online courses and audio books and, you know, LinkedIn, y'all have so y'all have so much. And I just thought, well, of course, they'll be smarter than I was, but they're not because people don't know what they don't know. I yeah. think because we've been marginalized, we haven't had the opportunity to be like a fourth or fifth generation corporate employee. A lot of us are the first. And so we don't even know what information we should be seeking. We don't even know what questions we should be asking. So that's why I wrote my book like here, here are the questions, here are the things you should know so that they can make new mistakes and not the same old mistakes that I made in 1998. Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you as you were interviewing these professionals? I think the one theme I would say that came across all of them was relax. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? There's so much angst and anxiety and like, oh my gosh, am I where, am I, where I should be? And am I, you know, I should have gotten that promotion six months ago and, all this, you know, angst, but I think at the end of the day, like, um, relax, it's going to be okay. You're going to be, be okay. okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You know, it doesn't give you permission to be lazy. Right. But it's just like, do the best that you can create the plan, work the plan, but be open to the fact that the plan might deviate. And that's okay. Cause if somebody had told me 20 years ago, you're going to marry a first generation Zimbabwean American and move to Africa for, and live there for 10 years. I would have been thinking you're smoking rocks because where am I going to meet this man and why would I leave America? But I'm so glad I did. I'm yeah. so glad I didn't hold so tightly to the plan that I wasn't open to an amazing experience that really was quite transformational for me. Wow. Well, so, I mean, I'm inquiring minds want to know how can people get your book? Where, they, where can they find your resources? You can go on Amazon, everybody, and buy my book. I mm -hmm. There's an ebook, paperback, and an audiobook that I narrated. And please feel free to connect with me on all the social media channels. I'm under Carice Anderson on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Okay. Make sure we'll put that in the show notes because I always want to make sure people can further the dialogue. Uh, but I can't let you go without asking my final question. My, my final question is my mission statement reframed as a question. So my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So Carice, 
How do you use your difference to make a difference? I think one of the unique things about me is, first of all, you know, being Black American, but having lived on the continent for 10 years and having interacted with so many different types of Black folks. And I feel like I really can serve as a bridge because I know sometimes there's a little bit of tension between Black Americans and and Black Africans. So I think Mm -hmm. that's the, the first thing. I think the other thing is, I often say I'm a misplaced millennial. I really should have been I should have been a millennial. So I feel like I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial whisperer. So millennial <laughs> so I like, whisperer. I feel like I can serve as a bridge between people my age and the millennials and the Gen Zers, right? Because I understand both sides. So I think I think that's also the Libra in me. I'm I'm that person. I always see both sides of an argument. So mm-hmm. so I think my experiences living as an expat out of the country and just my, you know, like I said. My, my misplaced birth birth time. I should have been a millennial. I think I, because of that, I think I can serve as a great bridge between all of those groups. Well, there you go. Being a bridge uh, in more in more ways than one. But thank you. Thank you so much. I, I think you've really opened the dialogue for many people. And, you know, a lot of people listen to this podcast. So hopefully they can send it to the family as well and see that there, there's another way. Send of it to everybody, y'all. Your yeah. mom and them, your cousins, <laughs> your aunts and uncles, everybody. Your co-workers, everybody. your managers, everybody. <laughs> uh, but I, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure's mine. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time, use a difference. Make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 